Welcome to the Kingdom Life Church podcast. We hope you enjoyed this message by our guest speaker. For more great content, visit klcmain.com. As my man uh, Tim was sharing, I was born and raised here in Maine. I made a life for myself out in Colorado. Then the Holy Spirit called us back here. And when he gave us the image and the vision of planting a church in Maine, um, I started. To, I had been gone for 20 years. Because when I graduated high school, I put it in my rear view, like many of you, some of you probably in this room, and I said, see ya, deuces, join the military. And uh, the Holy Spirit was calling me back, and I didn't know anybody. So we parachute dropped in here, Jess and I, we didn't know anybody. Right after shelter in place in 2020, it was a crazy time, remember, okay? And um, I was scrolling through social media, and I came across Kingdom Life, and all of a sudden I started just like social media stalking every single one of your posts, and I was watching it. And I was like, oh, my gosh, I'm just going to random reach out to this guy. And I reached out to Pastor Jamie. And I'm telling you, we had about a 30 to 40-minute conversation. This guy doesn't even know me. At the end of the call, he's praying. He's, he's blowing on the embers that the Holy Spirit has entrusted to me to plant this church. And they have been with us every single step of the way. They have championed us. They have encouraged us. Let me tell you something about Pastor Jamie, in case you don't already know this, okay? Pastor Jamie, when we planted our church, we have six kids, okay? So we, we, when we do things, we do it all the way. And he knew how hard it can be sometimes when you have to roll up your sleeve and get a little dirt under your fingernails to plant a church. And he said, hey, man, the Holy Spirit put you on my heart. I want to pay for a babysitter. And I want to pay for you and Jess to go out and to have a nice dinner. I know that money's tight. I know that you guys sold everything you had to come out here. And this is something that I want to do to let you know that we're in solidarity. Solidarity, we're in unity with you. And that's something that he would never promote, that he would never brag about. But guess what? I have the opportunity to be able to brag on him. So I just want to let you know, you have such a treasure and gift in Pastor Jamie and Pastor Shannon. You know, the Bible says to give double honor to those who labor in word and doctrine. So when you close your eyes and you think of that word honor, double down on that and just treat them as the gift that they've been given. I love this house. I pray for you guys. Our church prays for you. I love Tim and Amanda, Dustin, Adam, my man over there. Adam, who I didn't even know when he was in Texas and the Holy Spirit was moving on his heart, I reached out and called him. And he's like, I just said, hey, dude, you're not crazy. The Holy Spirit said the same thing to us that he said to you. Sell everything and go to Maine. And that was it. Dot, 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 dot. And so um, this is amazing soil. But I just want to, if I could just ask you, it's not going to be like Catholic Church. I'm just going to ask you to stand one more time. We're going to pray. And then we're going to be seated. But dear Heavenly Father, I acknowledge my complete and utter dependence upon you. Apart from you, I can say and do nothing. So I am asking, Holy Spirit, that you would speak through me. That the seed of your word would find its intended target. That it would find the soil of fertile hearts in this room. And that your word would grow into fruition in the lives of each and every single person under the sound of my voice. Lord, we give you all the praise and all the glory because you are worthy. And it's in Jesus' mighty, majestic, awesome, holy, powerful name. And everybody that agrees shouts, amen. Let's give them thanks. Thank you, Jesus.
Thank you, Lord. You can be seated. All right. A couple of things you should know about me. Along with being from Maine, I am Italian. So that means that I talk loud and I talk with my hands, okay? I don't know any other way to do it, so that's just how I do it. But here we go. There's a couple other things. One, I also wanted to mention Nicole Anderson, who I know is a daughter of this house. Uh, she has come to the Pines, and she's been leading us in worship. And what a treasure this woman and her husband, Dylan, are. I thank you. They are such a blessing, and they are helping get us to a whole nother level. In fact, she was closing out the service at the Pines, and she said, we're praying for you guys to have a powerful move of the Holy Spirit. That was the last text message I got before I came up here. So I just had to give her a huge um, shout-out. So... Here we, oh, and I want to just honor my beautiful wife in the room. Jess, I love you. I'm going to preach better that fact that I get to see you. And one last little story. You guys okay with a little, one more little story? Okay, so when we came here, we actually had some pastors, no name dropping, okay? But we had some pastors like, I don't think it would be a good idea for you to come to our church because it could get a little weird when you guys go to plant your church. So, so we were kind of like, okay, okay, we'll just... Uh, Stephen Furtick online and just sit in our living room and watch. And I told, I shared that with Pastor Jamin. He goes, dude, that's absolute nonsense. We're kingdom. You need to come here until you're ready to launch your church. And so our family actually came here for probably two to three months before we launched um, the church. And uh, as we were leaving, Jess was a little disappointed because she said, uh, I actually like Pastor Jamie's preaching better than you are. <laughs> but... Uh, that's a true story, but you know what? It's all good. It's all good. Hey, there are different flavors. Some people like chocolate ice cream. Some people like vanilla ice cream. It's all good. Okay. She put away her notebook. She's not taking any notes, but it's all good. Okay. Stay serious. Here we go. Ready? We recently, um, I love that Lexi was talking about Everything that's going on in Israel, it's impossible not to be able to see your heart, not to be touched by that. We recently entered Yom Kippur and then Sukkot on the Jewish calendar. And th this is known, for those of you that may be unfamiliar with this, this is known as a season of joy. So on the Jewish calendar, we are actually entering, as we are entering fall or autumn in our calendar, in the Jewish calendar, they are actually entering the season of Joy, But we've witnessed Israel in these brutal attacks. And it's not by surprise that the enemy has attacked because the enemy will do everything within his power to rob you of your joy. And that's what we're going to be talking about um, today. And so to open this up, I'm going to be sharing from First uh, Peter 4, 12 through 13. I'm going to have a boatload of scriptures. I'm going to be like machine gun preacher up here. But this is good stuff. So just make sure that if anybody wants these notes at the end, I will be more than happy to sell these to you. Send them. I'm not selling these to you. Marsha Brady. Marsha, Marsha, Marsha. Okay, so I'm going to send them, send them, sell nothing. I am not, yeah, no charlatan here. I'm not a hireling. Here we go. Stand course. You ready? Dear friends, don't be surprised at the fiery trials you are going through, as if something strange were happening to you. Instead, 
Be very glad. Everybody say very glad. Very glad for these trials make you partners with Christ in his suffering. So that you will have the wonderful joy. Everybody say wonderful joy. Wonderful joy of seeing his glory revealed to the whole world. That word, very glad. I went ahead and did the, and looked that up in the Greek, and you know what it means? It means very glad. It means to be beyond pleased, extremely delighted, overjoyed when you face trial. So let me just give you an analogy. Imagine you are selling your house for $200,000, and the realtor gives you a call and says, hey, we got somebody interested. And they're like, oh, awesome. I can't believe it. We're going to be able to sell our house. That's joy. That's pleased. But then he says, no, 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 you don't understand it. They actually know that you're offering 200000 but they want to offer you 400000 You would be overjoyed. You would be very pleased. You would be very glad. This is the language that Peter is using to explain to us how we should approach trials and tribulations in this life. And this is a reoccurring theme all throughout Scripture. But I don't know, I don't know about you. Honesty is the currency of growth. So let's just be honest in this room. I most times don't get overjoyed when I face trials. I don't get very glad when I face trials. So I'm missing something here. And there may be some of you in this room that are missing something. And I hope to be able to share a perspective and paradigm shift for you to be able to change the way that you see these trials and tribulations. Jesus said we will have trials in this life. The book of Acts says they went rejoicing that they had been considered worthy to suffer shame for his name. Romans 8.36 says we are heirs with Christ if indeed we suffer with him. 2 Corinthians 1.7, knowing that we also are sharers of your suffering. Philippians 3.10, that I may know him in the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his suffering. So those are pretty difficult things. The purpose of these trials and tribulations and sufferings is to bring us to the end of ourselves. The end of our intellect, the end of our gifting, and the end of our experience. And once we get to that line and we step over in faith with nothing familiar behind us, we begin to enter in to a deeper level of trust and strength in God. This is where we truly know what it means. It goes beyond a bumper sticker that when we are weak, he is strong. It's not just a slogan to slap on a t-shirt. His power works best in your weakness. Can his power move through your strength? Yes, but it actually works best in your weakness. Why is that? Because he gets all the glory. The Bible says that God won't share his glory with any man. And when you have a gifting and God moves through it, there is a little bit of you like, yeah, I wrote that song. You know, yeah, I, I hit that note. There's this, um, 
I'm fascinated with these um, Spartan races and Go Rock races and Tough Mudder. Anybody ever done one of those races in this room? Really? There, hand back, okay, a couple of them. They're so fun, okay? So you go, you run maybe about three or four miles, sometimes 10, and there's like 30 different obstacles. You got to climb, you got to crawl through the mud, you got to climb a rope, you got to throw a spear, you got to do all these crazy things. It's super fun, but there's this one woman who's won the Spartan race, the Tough Mudder, and she's actually competed in the male race and, and, and got second. And she's a, she's a female. This isn't any of that weird stuff. She's like, she's that, she's that good. Her name is Amelia Boone, and she has this quote I just thought was so good. She says, I'm not the strongest and I'm not the fastest, but I'm really good at suffering. And I thought to myself, is she a masochist? <laughs> no. But when everybody else has their eyes on themselves in self-pity, in fear, in how much longer am I going to have to endure this, her eyes are on something else. And I thought, what a beautiful depiction of the scriptures of God to fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. You know, the disciples lived this out. James 1, 2 through 4, the Bible says, count it all joy. Everybody say joy. There's that word again, my brothers. When you meet trials, the NLT says troubles, of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. I don't know about you. But to be perfect, complete, and lacking nothing is a pretty good goal to aspire to. I know that none of us are perfect on this side of eternity, but we are all in a process of being perfected in Christ Jesus. couple of takeaways from James. Number one, if the Bible tells you to count it all joy when you face trials, that means it's possible. Not only is it possible in that this isn't a suggestion, but rather a command. This scripture also shows us that we don't find joy in our circumstances. Now, I want to make this distinction because some of you in this room may be saying, hey, you have no idea what I am going through. We do not, the Bible doesn't instruct us to deny our circumstances, rather not be defined by our circumstances. So this idea of joy, right? We, we hear it tossed around in church. We hear it tossed around at Christmas. I've done an extensive amount of research. Actually, I don't know if you knew this, but my last name, Tim, G-I-O-I-A, is means joy in Italian. So it's the Italian word for joy. So you can kind of say I'm an expert on this a little bit. Um, but it, truthfully, I have read many concordances, many Hebrew, Greek dictionaries. And this is my biblical definition of the word joy. Because we have to understand, we have to all have a consensus on what joy means. Because joy may mean one thing to you. And joy may mean something different to me. And we can approach this scripture from two different ways. 
So this is my definition of joy. Jo- and this is, this is the whole thing. If you walk away with this, then you're, you're all good. Joy is living in the awareness of God's goodness, faithfulness, and redemptive power. I'm going to say that again. Joy is living in the awareness of God's goodness, faithfulness, and redemptive power. We can never get over this truth. But let me tell you something. And this happens every time I share this definition because I'm looking in your eyes. Many of you in this room heard that definition and thought to yourself, yeah, I know that, right? I know that. I know God's good. I know God's faithful. I know God's redemptive. But how many of you know there's a difference between knowing something and living in something? I know that if I work on my abs every single day and cut out carbs, that I can have an eight-pack. But I am not currently living in that reality. Why? Because I'm Italian and I love pasta and it's not in the cards for me. There's a difference between knowing and living. I think the church is full of a lot of people that know stuff but aren't living in that stuff. And so we have to live in this reality. So what does joy do? How does joy empower us through trials and tribulations? The book of Nehemiah 8.10 says this, The joy of the Lord is your strength. Your strength isn't found in your IQ, in your experience, your education, or any physical attribute that you can possess. Your strength is found in the joy of the Lord. It's understanding that upon salvation, that we now abide in him. And that the same spirit that rose Christ from the dead dwells on the inside of us. Knowing, living, where are you at? Richard Foster, one of my favorite authors, he wrote the book Celebration of Discipline, which I highly recommend. I keep it next to my nightstand. I read it every single year. And he had this quote, and I thought it was so good. He said, it's joy, not grit. That's the hallmark of holy obedience. See, think about it. Joy is the distinguishing mark of a believer. And not only is it possible in all circumstances, It's expected. And that's what I love about this place so much. There is so much joy. I've never seen Tim Arroyo without a smile. I wouldn't even know what he looks like. I would walk by him in Target if he was not smiling. I wouldn't even recognize him. Be like, yo, Matt, Tim? Tim? He's smiling every time I see him. Same with Adam. Same with Dustin. There's just a joy in the atmosphere of coming in this house. And that's the way we should reflect God's nature because God is joyful. So how do we cultivate this joy? Okay, I know what joy is. 
I know that joy gives us strength. How do we get it? I want more joy. Give it to me now. You know, how do I get this joy? That's a good question. And for the rest of the the message, I want to camp out in the book of Philippians. But I want to give you a little historical context. Okay, so I'm going to get a little teachy on you. All right? Paul wrote this letter to the church of Philippi in prison. He had been in prison for a couple of years, and he was facing possible execution. So just allow your imagination to grasp and put yourself in the sandals of Paul for a moment. You've been in prison for a while. You're probably not getting out, and you're facing death. If that wasn't enough, you had been beaten, shipwrecked, stoned, hit by a snake. I just thought of that one. And that was just from his enemies. Many in the faith were now distancing themselves from Paul, preaching out of selfish ambition and pride, causing strife and dissension in the church. From Paul's vantage point in that prison cell, which wasn't much of a vantage point at all because they didn't have windows, it appeared as if everything he had given his life to and for was all in vain. And then Paul puts pen to paper and writes this letter. He highlights joy 15 times. He couldn't have uttered those words under the unction of the Holy Spirit unless he had discovered for himself a joy that transcends his natural circumstances. And he writes this letter feverishly, not knowing if he will ever see another human being again because the body of Christ needs this word needs this strength and power that comes from joy that's not relegated to this world but supersedes it. The book, yeah, you can go, it's good, you know. So Philippians 4.4, 4, all right, very popular portion of Scripture. It says, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. Every time I hear that, I always think, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say, again, I say rejoice. They don't let me sing worship at church at all. They won't even let me buy the mic. Um. Paul is so confident in this truth that he doubles down on it. You ever tell somebody something and then you say it again just to make sure that they don't walk away from it? Like, you need to hear this. He doubles down on it. What is rejoice? We sing it at Christmas. We see it all throughout the Old Testament and the New Testament. I think there are these words that we hear in church that are just so familiar that they become routine. And we don't actually take the time to wrestle and understand what they mean. My Bible professor always used to say, words have meaning. He used to say it like every single day, and I'm like, 
dude, no joke words have meaning, like, duh. But I, I didn't realize, like, that was worth its weight in gold of Bible college just for my professor to be able to drill that into me. Words have meaning. What does rejoice mean? Re is a prefix. It comes from re to repeat. To take joy in the things that God has already done. See, let me tell you to you like this, okay? I'm just going to use a per, an example of myself. When I wake up in the morning and I get out of the bed, I go downstairs, and the very first thing I do is make coffee because that's a, that's a form of strength as well. And you get strength from caffeine, and coffee's okay. I think Jesus would have drank caffeine. That's all good, okay? But you know what? While I'm waiting for that coffee to be made, I start to go through and give God thanks for all the things that I have in my life. Lord, thank you that I have a roof over my head. Father, thank you that I have coffee to be able to brew. Father, thank you that I have friends that you've entrusted me with this church. Thank you that we have food in our shelves and we have money in our bank account. Lord, thank you that I met my wife in my frosted tips, cool water cologne, creed listening days. That is a miracle unto itself. Where there is no way, you make a way. He is good. And what I do, what rejoicing does, is it puts God on the throne of your heart. See, if I were to ask each and every single one of you for a list of all the things that are going wrong in your life, you'd be able to spit fire them like a machine gun preacher. But when you ask people to give an account of all the things that are going well in their life, after about four things, they start to scratch their head. And it should not be. This is the danger of the Israelites. They had forgotten what God had done for them. So when they faced trials, they had forgotten all the times that God had parted the sea, that gold was put on their lap. And so we have to rejoice. And you know what that does? With that caffeine circulating in your bloodstream and rejoicing and getting God on the throne of your heart, regardless of what the enemy has mounted against you that day, you can go, oh my gosh, that is so small. But what happens is we don't pray, and we don't rejoice, and we drink the caffeine, and we walk out, and we're like, oh, I got flat tire. Oh, Lord, why do you give me your hardest battles? Oh. So we built God up by rejoicing. Repeat, take joy in the things that God has already done. You know, I bet that was the last thing Paul felt like doing. Paul was in prison. He didn't know if he was getting out. Everybody left him. He wasn't getting any visitors. And he discovered something. God, you saved me during that stoning. I should have been dead. God, you saved me when I was shipwrecked. That snake should have taken me out. God, you, you, you gave me the opportunity to be able to share with the Corinthian church. And he started to build himself up. And all of a sudden, he transcended his circumstances. But it doesn't stop there. Let's keep reading. Philippians 4.8, dear brothers and sisters, one final thing. Fix your thoughts. Everybody say, fix your thoughts. On what is true and honorable. You don't have to keep going. Uh, just uh, fix your thoughts. My bad. And right and pure and lovely and admirable. 
think about things that are excellent and worthy of praise. I love that he says one final thing. Like, oh, 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 oh. don't leave the room. There's one final thing that I haven't told you that you're going to need in order to be able to face these trials. He says, fix your thoughts. You don't fix something unless it's broken. Unless you're from the south, you're like, I'm fixing to do this, I'm fixing to do that, I'm fixing to do that. Anyway, anybody from the, no, nobody from the south? We're in the northeast, we can, we can poke a little fun, right? It's all good, we won the war. Um, uh, just playing, it was a good cause, okay? So, he says one final thing, fix your thoughts. If your thoughts don't line up on what, under what is honorable, right, pure, lovely, admirable, then your, your thinking is broken. You know, and you may, you may say to yourself, yeah, well, I've gotten this far. Well, you know what? I've driven a lot of cars, and that check engine light comes on. And you know what, man? I don't have the money, so I just keep pushing through. And I may get another week, two weeks, three weeks out of it, but eventually it dies. And when I bring it to the garage, they say, why didn't you come in when the check engine light came on? And so you may think that you're getting by in life, stewing on the negative, stewing on this anxiety, but I am telling you that it is robbing you of your future. And you have to fix your thoughts under one of those categories. I love what it says, think about these things. We don't think a lot. We don't take a lot of time to think anymore. I don't know about you, but I used to struggle with this, especially in my early 20s, but I was an overthinker. Any overthinkers in the room? Of course, I didn't call it overthinking. I called it problem solving. I was a problem solver. I was like, I'm just going to look at it from this angle. I'm going to just size it up here. I wasn't worrying. No, 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 no. I was a problem solver, but I was giving in to overthinking, and it was spinning my wheels. How many of you know worry is a knockoff of faith? It's a perversion of faith. Faith is the evidence of things, is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Worry is, is the substance of things dreaded. It's the opposite. It's the exact opposite. It's moving in the exact opposite direction of faith. It's backwards, faith towards the enemy. I remember when I was growing up in school, my parents used to get so, up, they used to get like so worried that I was going to listen to like a Led Zeppelin album backwards and it was going to say like, bzz, bzz, worship the devil. Bzz, bzz. You know, first of all, I never even knew how to take an audio cassette and to invert it to be able to listen to it backwards, but they were really concerned that I was going to listen to heavy metal backwards. But, but the enemy will do everything in his power to get you to try to focus on this worry. And worry is idolatry. You're like, well, idolatry, that's Old Testament stuff, right? Like, we don't have a little wooden image. An idol is anything you give your strength to and draw your strength from. It's the first thing you think about in the morning and the last thing you think about at the end of the night. All of my thought life was worry and overthinking until one day the Holy Spirit set me free and he said, you know what? Overthinking is a lot like overeating. You don't have to do it. And you need to watch what you're putting into your mind. 
And then he gave me the 2 Corinthians 10.5. It says, we take every thought captive and we make it obedient to Christ. Who takes the thought captive? We do. Who makes it obedient to Christ? We do. In other words, we take a thought. And does it line up under one of those categories? If it does not, we discard it. And as you begin to exercise this big muscle up here, you will gain strength and conviction and discernment and be able to recognize those thoughts coming from a mile away and not give them any mental real estate and cast them down. We have to take control of our minds. And in fact, the word think is kind of a poor translation. A better translation would be the word meditate. And don't let that word scare you. You don't have to sit crisscross applesauce and open up your third eye. Okay? Meditation is actually a biblical concept. And this is the clearest way that I can explain it is that meditation is the digestive system of the soul. And so as you take these scriptures and you ruminate on them, the Holy Spirit begins to reveal things that you hadn't previously seen before. And then when God reveals it, and not a preacher or a teacher or a friend, but the Holy Spirit reveals it to you, it becomes rhema inside of your heart. And so we must take the time to meditate on God's word. I'm going to wrap this up. I'm going to land this plane here, okay? The enemy wants to steal your joy for the purpose of weakening you. His hope is that in your weakened state, you'll abandon your trust in God and his word. And isn't that typically how it goes? When you find yourself depressed and anxious, you start to alienate yourself. And that's the enemy's tactic, is to isolate you away from your family. You see, we cannot be ambassadors of Christ if we're constantly worried and depressed. It's a poor witness. Jesus wasn't depressed. In fact, Jesus' enemies, which were the Pharisees, had a really hard time with him because he was having a lot of fun. He was overjoyed. That's why children wanted to run to him. All right? That's why tax collectors, Jesus was cool. Everybody wanted to hang out with him. He was at peace with himself, and he was filled with joy. He was excited and genuinely interested in seeing you and hearing what you had to say. Have you ever talked to somebody that, like, nobody else in the world matters at that moment? Like, they had laser focus on you, and you felt as if you were in the presence of God. And we live in this distracted society where we're constantly checking our phones, and everything's vying for our attention. But Jesus was joyful. When we find ourselves seeped in depression and anxiety, it's an indicator that we're losing ground and we're drifting from God. It's a check engine light that we actually need to run to him. The Bible says in Psalm 1611, in your presence is fullness of joy. Let me tell you something. If there's fullness of joy, then there's the capability of being like half a tank. Quarter tank, 
And some of y'all maybe came in on some fumes. But I don't know about you. I want to have fullness of joy so that the overflow of what the Lord is doing in my life, I can spill into others. Listen to the great father of the faith said this. I'm going to ask the worship team to go ahead and and come up. um, Or the keys, however you guys do it. The father of the faith, Tertullian, said this. The closer one comes to God, the more joy is experienced. Joy based not on circumstances or passing emotion, but the joy of the Lord that comes from knowing him. See, joy is a fruit of the spirit. It ripens and matures by spending time with God in prayer, in worship, in service, and in word. It's a lifestyle that we commit to. You know, no one would be under the assumption that you can walk into a gym and walk out looking like Dustin Box immediately, right? Like, that's not going to happen. That's a lifestyle for Dustin. He rolls on those mats and he works out, and that's the reason that he looks the way that he does. And the same is true. It's not just go into one service and get filled up. One of the things that absolutely breaks my heart is to watch believers run from meeting to tent to conference, trying to get filled up but not willing to do the heavy lifting of uprooting the lies and weeds that have taken residence in their heart. And so every time the Lord touches them, those weeds choke out what God is trying to do. It's a commitment. Again, it's not enough just to say, I know these things. You must live in them. So don't believe the lie that joy can only be experienced in the absence of
surrender my life to the Lordship of Jesus. Drugs, alcohol, pornography, all of it, it fell off of me and I experienced the love of the Father in a way that I can't even articulate with words. And I'm believing that for each and every single one of you as you have exercised your faith and made a commitment to dedicate your life to Him.
shared with you that Jess and I have six 